evidence and answers. Recent statistics show that 60 to 80% of Christian students abandon their faith after four years of college. It is apparent that our students are not equipped to meet the intellectual and spiritual challenges of the college campus. How can parents and churches prepare their students for college life? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and Rocio Christie president, Corey Miller, will be explaining the challenges on the college campus and how we can prepare our students for the challenges of campus life. Postmodernists say that knowledge is but a social construction of reality. In other words, there is no such thing as knowledge. If there is truth at all, at all, you can't know it. After the final philosopher of the Enlightenment, Immanuel Kant, you can't know anything, even if there is something there to know. We're trapped behind our ideas, or we're trapped behind our language, or or something else. But postmodernism, it's hard to define, but it can be characterized by relativism. Now, out of that period of postmodernism, and so we've got a ton of relativism in ethics today um, in the universities. You you can't teach value theory. You can't you can't teach objective moral truth because it's not science for one. But everyone talks about it being in terms of the will to power, right? Well, what's emerged from postmodernism was this character named Karl Marx, and that ended up into new Marxism or cultural Marxism. And today, we look at this in terms of a social justice kind of ethic, identity politics, where people are identified in groups, either as oppressors or oppressed victims or victimizers, bourgeois or proletariat, the ruling class or the working class. And that's how people are divided up, those two things, oppressors and oppressed. And you're starting to see this pervade even over the sciences, over the hard sciences. This is phase two in the universities now. We got taken over by phase one, scientific naturalism. Phase two, even the naturalists are shaking in their boots now. Steven Pinker that I mentioned earlier is concerned about this. Jordan Peterson puts a lot of attention on this as, a, as an international uh, thinker. Peter Boghossian, the atheist that I quoted a little while ago that I, I could debate and his goal is to take away people's faith. Well, he's done with that now. He told me his new goal is to defeat critical theory and social justice. He's done with the atheism-theism debate. And he and I toured four universities in Utah, and we're looking at four in Texas in the fall, on viewpoint diversity, how social justice and identity politics are killing academia. And so even the hard sciences now are starting to capitulate to some of these postmodern ideas and to this critical theory, which is an idea that really is inconsistent and incompatible with the gospel, but you're starting to see it infiltrate campus ministries, churches, and even seminaries. So if your people wanted to get uh, up to speed on what this is, we've got a free downloadable booklet. It's about 30 pages, Engaging Critical Theory in the Social Justice Movement. Just go to rachiochristie.org. Engaging critical theory in the social justice movement. But there's scientific naturalism on the one hand and postmodern uh, or critical theory on the other hand in the universities. And in either case, it's an unholy alliance locked up against Christianity. Yes, you know, and the pressure in the classroom to, you know, go along with these ideas is also quite tremendous. I know that the students, uh, if you don't 
accept Darwinism in the sciences. It's kind of like you're ignorant. You're still in your backwoods Sunday school classroom. Get with it, you know. And if you hold to some kind of absolute truth and absolute standard of morality and ethics, hey, you're back in the in the dark ages. Let's get with it. You've lost your brain, kind of. You're, you're kind of meant to feel inferior or ignorant if you don't hold to these ideas that you're talking about. Right. Uh, you know, people think that peer pressure exists only as a student in middle school or high school. That's not the case. It exists in academia, too. If you don't toe the line, you're looked at as stupid. In our culture, we're, we're moving rapidly toward a shame-based culture. And because we don't value viewpoint diversity anymore, you end up in academia with a political orthodoxy, if you will. So we don't we don't hire, let's say, uh, conservative thinkers or Christians that are robust Christians anymore in, in the academy. So you end up having one view, and all the students are getting taught these things too. And all the other professors, you you want to shut your mouth. You don't want to go against what is politically orthodox, rather than having a heterodox academy where you can debate truth. These are social justice universities now where there's a political ideology that if you don't go along with it, you are you know, in trouble. Yeah, so the Christian student who may hold to a Christian worldview is going to find themselves really in the minority, often alone uh, on a university campus there. I remember I'd be in a class of 200 and I felt all alone because I'm the only one that had a Christian position when it came to ethics or can you know reality or truth or the existence of God. Man, often I felt like, I'm the only guy in here that believes yeah. in this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's why you're saying it's so important that a Christian be involved in some kind of campus ministry or Christian fellowship there on the university campus because it can be a lonely place if you're holding to these convictions. Right. And even, as I said, some of these false ideologies are starting to slip into various campus ministries, as they are churches and seminaries, and it's becoming very difficult to navigate there. As I mentioned, you know, knowledge is but a social construction of reality. Well, think about identity, identity politics. Uh, I am gay. I am a female trapped in a male's body, or maybe I'm a dragon or or something like that, right? Who are you to judge me when I feel like this is my identity trapped in my biology or something like that? And that stuff has become believed by those in the ruling class, and you get shamed if you think that your biology defines your your sex and your gender. You know, when we think about the arsenal of firepower at the university and what students are headed for. I mentioned Michael Bloomberg earlier, who was one of the Democratic candidates uh, earlier this season. He gave the lecture at Harvard's 363rd commencement ceremony, and he said this. He said, conservative faculty members are at risk of becoming an endangered species. He said, Harvard, now imagine this, he's given the, the speech there for the graduation ceremony. He says, Harvard is a good university. But just like all the other Ivy Leagues, it's not a great university. You know, you want to pull that guy off. Who's yeah. this speaker? He said it's a good university because it practices diversity of gender and ethnicity and orientation. But he says a great university needs to practice viewpoint diversity. And then he said, 
when 96% of all campaign contributions from Ivy League faculty and employees went to Barack Obama, you've got to wonder whether students are being exposed to the diversity of views that a great university should offer. Now, Bloomberg was, is a Democrat. He's a liberal yeah, Democrat, wow. and he makes notice of that. <clears throat> Steven Pinker says the same kind of thing. Uh, Peter Bogosian, the same kind of thing. Richard Dawkins is getting concerned about some of this stuff, too, that's happening on the university campuses because the scientific naturalism part is starting to get eclipsed by the other side. But it gets worse when you think about what's coming in, too. For the first time ever, the 219 fall class at Harvard had more atheists and agnostic students entering as freshmen than Catholic and Protestant. First time ever. And in a Yale 2017 national student survey, get this to see what we're up against. And you can see what's happening in culture. Almost half of all students believe in campus speech codes. There are certain things you cannot say. 80% say that words are a form of violence, and one-third of all students think that physical violence is justified to prevent hate speech. That's one-third of all students think that, well, what is hate speech? Two-thirds say hate speech is anything a student believes to be considered hurtful to a particular person. We're getting it from both ends. Wow. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. I'd like you to elaborate on that as well, that even campus Christian ministries. These ideas are infiltrating Christian campus ministries. There's one here. I won't say their name because overall they're a good group, but and they once were a place where great intellectual discussion, apologetics, defense of the gospel. I mean, they were doing it great here on the university campus, but about 10 years ago, they completely, they got a new director and they completely changed their philosophy. And I remember talking to her and she said, oh, nobody cares about apologetics at the university here. Nobody cares. Uh, they want to know if you love them and accept them. And I said, okay, well, what does your ministry, you know, what's the aim of your ministry? And she said, healing and reconciliation. You know, that's what we're all about. No one cares about apologetics. And Yeah, BYU-Hawaii could offer that. Yeah, yeah, and I was just absolutely stunned because this ministry, you know, publishes and has a lot of great speakers in, in the arena of apologetics and things. And I looked, I said, who are you reconciling them to? But uh, Mm -hmm. I I see these ideas, like you said, infiltrating on Christian campus ministries. Uh, Talk to us about that a little bit. Right. I was recently invited to give a lecture through a Christian campus ministry on a campus. And once some students, grad students, had researched me and found out some of the truth claims that I was defending, which are not out of the blue truth claims, they're central truth claims that have been consistent the Christian church for 2,000 years and beyond that for Judaism on ethical matters like human sexuality and so forth. Once they heard that, they went to the leader and the leader disinvited me. I mean, this was within months. Here I am as a guest lecturer in a third year atheism seminar class at Portland State with a cantankerous neo-atheist. He invited me in, but one of our card-carrying campus ministries disinvited me. Then When I went on the road with that atheist philosopher to talk about viewpoint diversity, and we were allied together at this point, we had another campus ministry who not only would not attend our meetings because they thought we were going to be burning bridges rather than building them, never mind the fact that I'm a former Mormon from Utah. I was a member of that campus ministry at one time in the past, Uh, so I I understood the culture, and I understood what it took to build bridges and not burn them. Nonetheless, they've been so infiltrated by some of these ideologies, when one of our 
allies within that campus ministry tried to talk with them and said, look, some of this stuff is, this social justice stuff is a Trojan horse. There's some good in it, but some bad. Uh, you just got to be careful. Just go to the lectures and hear what they're going to say. They said, well, and he said, a lot of this stuff could be cultural Marxism. And the campus minister said, well, maybe we can learn from Marx. And then when we had them, you know, ready to attend, they were afraid to bring their students to listen to us, uh, but the staff were going to attend. Instead, they decided to hold a staff meeting, impromptu staff meeting, and watch a video on white guilt. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I can I can relate to you. You know, I was on the West Coast speaking at a Christian college uh, retreat. I mean, a retreat of churches with college students. So I thought I was addressing Christians. Well, I was. I was addressing a large Christian crowd. And I had my guard down and I made the mistake. I said, men and women are created by God and they're different and designed by God to fulfill different roles. Wow. They uh, went after me and they had a meeting till 4 a.m. whether they wanted to keep me around or not. <laughs> and they said yeah. I was largely ineffective for the rest because I was a racist, I was a bigot, I was anti-feminine, woman hater, all these things. And it, so you are right. I relate with they, it, these ideas have infiltrated even churches and, and campus ministries. Right. I mean, 70, 73% of Generation Z embraces gay marriage. Wow. That's our future. Yeah. Corey, you know, in, in this last half of our interview here, we're going to talk about students, parents, and churches. But let's start with the students. How can the students prepare for the challenges of the university campus? Well, one hopes that the students are reading their Bibles and getting close to Jesus. You know, we don't want to advocate being a head-only ministry where there is no heart and there are no hands. The full Christian is head, heart, and hands. But in today's culture, if you're going to not just survive against the onslaught that you're going to face, but if you're going to thrive, you've got to have apologetics as a non-negotiable part of your study curriculum, not just Bible and theology, but apologetics. Because you can't do even evangelism these days at universities anymore effectively without having a background in apologetics. This is not our grandma's America anymore. Things have changed. We are not in the synagogue realm in Acts 2 or something like that. We've been in American culture in Acts 17 for quite a long time. We're on Mars Hill. And so if you're not prepared, if you don't have resources at least to be able to look up and engage some of these questions, the Christian faith has the truth. It's not faith or reason. It's a reasonable faith. But if you don't know them or at least don't know where to look for them, you're going to get fried and, and you're just going to get assimilated uh, by the machine. Yes. And there's also, a, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of social challenges for the Christian student once they get on campus as well. Tell us about some of the you know, social challenges that they should be prepared for. If they don't get into a campus ministry or a church group that is it's a kind that's going to help you grow. There are unhealthy ones and there are healthy ones. If they don't get into a healthy group, they're going to acquiesce to temptation. It's just too hard to go it alone. We weren't meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. And going off for the first time, if you're a Christian student with a Christian background and youth group and family and stuff like that, uh, going off to the campus where there's so much compromise that increasingly happens every new Friday night that comes up. If you don't have a conviction to pursue Christ in the midst of that, you're going to lose. I don't want to you know, get into the issue of losing your salvation or retaining your salvation. 
you can still, under the no loss of salvation viewpoint, have a, a defeated faith. And if, if you don't get yourself into a fellowship group that's a healthy group, you're going to lose. You're, you're going to have problems, and you're going to come out defeated as well. It's got, it will have implications for later in your life. Parents put too much time, blood, sweat, toil, dollars, and tears into their children than just to hand them off to these secular baptismal fonts. So they've got to be prepared for the relational context even if they're going to be in the midst of, you know, some of the party scenes to go continue their relationships. Look, if, if they go into these dark places, they at least have to go in as children of light. And the best way to do that is to uh, be in fellowship with other believers. So there's the relational part and there's the intellectual part that they need to tend to. Yes. You know, I mean, there seems to be this skit on every university campus for freshmen. I think, you know, it's called issues or uh, whatever, but it seems to be the same skit all over the campus for freshmen. They go and there's a skit on stage. There's usually four or five students, you know, one comes out of the closet. Another one is a nymphomaniac. Another one is a political activist. And then you'll always have the bad guy, the Christian who Mm -hmm. condemns everybody. And in the end, feelings are hurt. There's arguments and it ends, you know, badly because the Christian condemning and judging everybody. And at the end, the counselor, professor, advisor, whoever comes out and says, you know, we're on a university campus. You have to be open to new ideas and new lifestyles and try them out. If you're going to be a stick in the mud and you're going to hold to your ideas and not be open to anything else, basically they're saying, you, you know, you're not welcome on the campus. And it seems to be that same skit that's there on the first day of freshman orientation at every university campus. So that's the kind of social challenge I think students face that you're talking about. Right. And so, you know, parents don't have to be. This is this is quite a lot to swallow. You know, how, how much do you have to be equipped in order to then turn around and equip your, your kids? Do I have to be a philosopher? Do I have to be an apologist, a Bible scholar? No, you don't. You should be an active, growing Christian in your mind, not just in your heart and hands as well. But you've got to at least know where resources are at. You know, if you're going to study something on the sciences, I would, I'm just looking at my bookshelf now, 100 pager by John Lennox, Can Science Explain Everything? Or Scientism and Secularism by J.P. Moreland, or Dictionary of Christianity and Science, or Where the Conflict Really Lies by Alvin Plantinga. Uh, at least know of someone like yourself or apologetics ministries that might be able to function as a resource parents who want to know, what about, how do I explain homosexuality? How do I defend the biblical viewpoint? What about transgender? What about this and that? Those who are in that mix can serve as resources. So the parent doesn't have to be a scholar. You just have to be able to know where to go. And I think, you know, before the student gets on campus, they need to look up who are the Christian organizations there on campus and start hooking up with them, emailing them and or calling them and start hooking up with them before they arrive on campus. Because like you said, you get on campus and one week, you know, you're just inundated and it's like, well, I'll go check out the fellowship next week. And Sunday morning comes around and you don't have a ride to church. You don't know what church to go to. Ah, just sleep in. Well, one week turns into a month. The next thing you know, you're in that pattern 
you're out of fellowship, you're under these uh, challenges from uh, the social challenges, the cultural challenges, the ideological challenges, and you're kind of by yourself and you're out of fellowship, and that's where the slide begins. And so I think even before they get on campus, they need to find ministries like Ratio Christie, Crew, InterVarsity, and others and start making contact uh, with those organizations. Right. And I would encourage them to, look, we can help them along the way. If they want to launch a Ratio Christie club on their campus, we can help you through the formation, navigating your campus, how to reconnoiter your campus. We provide the constitution for you that is really written virtually by Alliance Defending Freedom, who has defended us for 21 out of 21 wins on college campuses. We can get you set up. We can help you with the resources. So you can help us launch these chapters on university campuses as well. Right. Now let's move to the parents. How can parents help prepare their students as they're going back to the university? Yeah, I mean, parents need to be able to, again, either provide resources or point to those areas where they can. Again, something like your ministry or like Rocio Christie, they can contact us. Looking at uh, one of my books by a friend right now, Natasha Crane, she's got a recent book out, Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. She's got another one, uh, Talking With the Kids, uh, or Keeping Your Kids on God's Side is one of her other books. So you want to be able to, at various levels, have stuff that is age relevant to be able to help them with. I've taken my my 10-year-old through you know, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ kid version. And then he's got a, you know, junior high version and high school and stuff like that, or Jay Warner Wallace's stuff for those ages. So there are resources that are age specific. If you don't have it or know where to get it, contact us and we'll point you to it. Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a great point because interviewed several parents and they said, hey, Pat, you know, the doubting of their faith of the young people really doesn't begin in college it actually begins in the junior high level and it really Mm -hmm. culminates on the university campus where they're free and independent and really bombarded with these ideas at a high level but it really begins at the junior high level where they're learning darwinism in biology political correctness and all these things at the junior high high school level and the doubts creep in there. So like what you're saying is very true that the parents can start preparing their children to think critically, to develop a Christian worldview, to know what the evidences are, how to evaluate evidence and ask those critical questions at a young age is when parents can really need to start preparing their kids for the college campus. Right. They've got to help them develop and cultivate a heart for Jesus. That means they have to have a heart for Jesus, and the kids need to be able to see it. But beyond the heart, which is what our churches often focus on, which is not a bad thing, it's a good thing, the heart cannot embrace what the mind cannot believe. And those beliefs become more critical. They become either owned or rejected later in life as the student grows and starts to take ownership over his own or her own beliefs. And that's where the life of the mind is critical. 
they've got to be able to have resources and have developed critical thinking skills to sift through some of this stuff. Because let's face it, you know, we've just gone through this COVID-19 lockdown and a lot of parents, virtually everyone in America with kids got their first taste of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, some parents are challenged with their fifth graders' math assignments. Well, go now to a professor of philosophy at a university and see if you can stand up under that. The average pastor can't give adequate response to that. The average youth pastor can't. And so that's a, that's a tall hill to climb. You've got to be able to have the resources where to find those things. So cultivate the heart of your child. Um, and toward Jesus, and especially by letting them see it in you. But then again, the heart cannot embrace what the mind cannot believe. You've got to be able to develop the critical thinking skills and provide resources for that. And then, you know, when you train them up in the way they should go, the proverb says they won't depart from the faith. Of course, that's a generality. It's just a proverb. It's not an absolute. But training them up in the way they should go is about that cultivation of the heart, you know, the, the, the employing of the will, the engagement of the mind. Uh, it's full, a fully orbed Christian, and it's role modeled in the home. And then when they're out, they're no longer under your care, and they're going to be facing some pretty tough obstacles. They need to have those resources, and they need to have that community. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call. That number locally is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.